so many ways that Jesus could have come to us, right? And when you start to think about the reason He had to come to us in the first place, it's even more surprising that He came the way that He did. If you're a father, maybe, and you have kids or think about your kids disobeying and disregarding you, just breaking the rules time and time and time again, we don't tend to approach our kids when they do that with meekness and humility. Right? That's the opposite of what they have earned if you want to get technical about it. There was an all-out rebellion in our home and the entire family was dead set against us, hated us, wanted to kick us out and invite someone else in to be the parent instead that didn't care for them or love them at all. That would hurt, to put it mildly. Our gut reaction to that kind of thing would not be probably to think that we need to lower ourselves or that we should lower ourselves to bridge this gap between us. In fact, if it gets bad enough and all our attempts at reconciling with our family would go unanswered and unresolved, eventually we'll hit a breaking point, won't we? I've tried. What else can I do? I'm done. So when all humanity now, all humanity, even the nation that God had delivered from 430 years of slavery, to make his own special and holy people turned on him and rejected him and wanted to throw off his gracious rule over them, God could have given any number of extremely severe responses. But instead, instead there's a promise. There's a God who is relentlessly faithful to it and a stable and a manger. Instead, there's this young virgin girl in the dark with an extremely confused husband and barn animals and all the smells that go along with it and some common shepherds. And all but a few in the world had no idea this was happening in the first place and wouldn't know anything about it for about 30 more years. Why did Jesus come like that? The Lord comes in meekness and humility to save us now. Let me pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And we thank You for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ this first time. Not to condemn the world, but to save it through His Word and work and His accomplishment. And so, Father, turn our hearts now to this to the words on these pages, to the story that probably all of us know very well. But Lord, may it not cease to amaze us and bring worship out of us when we consider these things. Have Your way in me as I speak. Help me, Father, to preach Your Word as You would have me. And Lord, I pray that everyone in the room would listen and believe this I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pick it up in Luke chapter 2. Verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, 
to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Back in the first chapter of Luke, it says the Lord Jesus would enter the world having been conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. There had been no room for them in an inn in Bethlehem that night, so Jesus was born in a sort of stable, possibly even a cave, kind of dug out into the foot of a hill or a mountain, wrapped in swaddling cloths by his very young mother, the old version of the baby burrito they do in the hospital where they wrap it all up so it can be still and laid him in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. That's precisely what it was. But this isn't just a baby, right? This is the living God, the second person of the Holy Trinity in human flesh, God the Son. This is what the early church called in Latin, our forebearers, the unio personalis. They were trying to capture the union of the divine and human natures in one person. Jesus the Christ, an unfathomable mystery. We cannot fully understand or explain how this is even possible, but we know that with God all things are possible. Nothing will be impossible with Him. But this was His entrance into the world as that. He didn't come as a 35-year-old man in His prime, ready to work. He came in a virgin's womb. No fanfare other than, of course, the host of heaven, which is no small thing, proclaiming the good news of His birth. But the only ones who saw that, who knew that happened as we if we were to read on in Luke 2, were some shepherds just doing their job, watching their flocks at night. That's who hears. So it's almost intentionally quiet and unremarkable and humble and lowly and almost like a secret. There's a very real sense now in which this was a silent and holy night, spiritually speaking, absolutely. I love that song. It's probably my favorite Christmas song. But as it relates to the world itself and the humanity of this moment, the scene is really captured beautifully in a song written by Andrew Peterson, I believe, and sung by Jill Phillips that goes like this. It was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry in the alleyway that night on the streets of David's town. And the stable was not clean. And the cobblestones were cold. And little Mary full of grace, with the tears upon her face, and no mother's hand to hold. It was a labor of pain. It was a cold sky above. But for the girl on the ground in the dark, every beat of his beautiful heart was a labor of love. Noble Joseph by her side, his calloused hands and weary eyes. There were no midwives to be found on the streets of David's town in the middle of the night. And so he held her and he prayed, shafts of moonlight on his face. But the baby in her womb, he was the maker of the moon. He was the author of the faith that could make the mountains move. This is how he came for you. And for me, a human being is never more vulnerable, 
than in their first moments outside their mother's womb. I remember all four of the births of my children immediately following the moment of their birth. They're so, as, as I'm sure any of you that have experienced that, remember so fragile, so tiny and small and helpless. They cannot do anything for themselves. And Jesus was truly human. Truly a baby. A human baby. As vulnerable and dependent and helpless in His humanity as any other little baby that would happen to be in Bethlehem that night. And I've tried all week. I try every year in my head during this time to think of, a, of how to communicate how far Jesus condescended in this moment to come down here and be among us. And I never find the words. I don't know how you capture that distance, that work of Him coming down here and wrapping Himself in humanity like this, fully God in this moment, but also a baby that has no more awareness as a human being of anything else than any other baby. We don't fathom how high, we, we can't understand how high and lifted up God is, and so we don't know the distance that He had to travel down very well either. But we know He did it. And did it indeed as a labor of love for sinners, for the rebels, for the people that had said, we don't want you to rule over us. The Creator became a part of His creation. And He didn't do that because we had earned a visit. I mean, we had earned a visit, but not a meek and humble one. He didn't do it because we'd done so well that He wanted to visit and congratulate us and tell us we had exceeded His expectations for humanity. And He's so proud of us. And He's going to move us to this next level of enlightenment. He came like this because of why He came in the first place. To forgive our sins. To pardon our guilt. To reconcile us to Himself and make us His very own once more. The Lord was willing. He was telling us through a manger. By being born in a manger. In a stable. I've not come to destroy you. I've come to serve you. I've humbled myself to a nine-month gestational period just like each one of you has gone through. I've come through the birth canal in the blood and tears and screams of my mama, right? I made myself need milk from her and blankets around me and sung to sleep trying to shield my tiny little eyes from this new thing called light bursting on my face without my permission. Why was God doing this? Because the people He had created as the very crown of that creation have rebelled against Him. Make no mistake, we deserve Jesus to have come the first time like He's going to come the next and the last time on a conquering white horse to conquer. To strike down those who are rebels. We've all sinned against Him. We're still sinning against Him. Nobody in this room this morning is clean. Not in action and reality. In behavior. Nobody in this room is something He didn't have to be born in these circumstances and live and die for. For our salvation. For no other reason for us, He did this. God the Son did not have to wrap Himself himself in human flesh. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to be 
born and live and die and rise again here to be God, to stay God, or to prove himself to anyone. What did he owe us? Why did this become necessary? Who said it was necessary? What could we demand of God? What was he lacking that he couldn't get from us? Not worship. The host of heaven had been worshiping since their creation. So he has that. Not worth. He has that in himself. Not power. He has all of it. Not wisdom. He's all of it. Not love. He had that in himself as the God who is three in one. The Trinity. Eternally glorious. Lacking nothing. Needing nothing. Possessing all glory and honor and power. This is all unnecessary. Unless... It's God that won't bypass His own justice without sacrifice. Unless it's on His terms, unless He says, this is what has to happen, this doesn't have to happen. It's then that Jesus had to come. That's why it was God that made this the only way. He came in meekness and humility to save us. He came in such a way that we would know, I have not come this time as a threat to you. He lowered himself to become what he came to save, a human being, because that is what our salvation would require based on God's own inerrant, infallible, perfect word. He was only bound to himself. Jesus was only obligated to his father because God had decreed. Remember all the way back in Genesis that life is in the blood. And if humanity was going to be redeemed, a human would have to be the sacrifice. A human would have to bleed then. But since no human's blood lived because no human is sinless, he becomes the sacrifice. He becomes the human being born of a woman who would crush the serpent's head and overturn the curse as promised all the way back when we fell. Jesus would bring his kingdom of salvation into the world by building it himself. Not by telling us, you better build this or I will destroy you. Think about that. He, he didn't say that. He didn't say, you make this, you prove your worth and then I will come to you. He came to us while we were in open rebellion to him. Israel was in the state it was politically, nationally, because they had wandered from God and turned from him and rejected him. And Caesar Augustus and all the world looking on was doing the same thing. And he's in a manger in the middle of a little town that is extremely obscure relative to its current cultural situation at that time. Jesus builds this with his own blood, his own hands, and his own body. In fact, we read beginning, or we could read back in Luke chapter 1 verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Right? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
Matthew writes that the angel told Mary the baby's name would be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what his name is in Aramaic. Yahshua or Yeshua. He will save his people from their sins. So from his miraculous conception in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, not by a human father, to his birth in the manger and the life he would live in perfect obedience and give up willingly as a sacrifice for sins. In that, in the way all this went down, we realize just how Jesus is going to accomplish our salvation down to the very details of it. The pattern for us all is right here in the narratives of His birth. This is a gift He gives to us. As He came to them the first time, beloved, He still comes to us all in meekness and humility. Therefore, on the authority of God's holy word, hear them for you this morning. For you, do not be afraid. God has decided to show you favor. Jesus Christ has been born. He was great. He was and is the Son of the Most High. He is the King of Earth. He is seated on the promised throne of His Father on earth, David. And He will reign there forever. His kingdom will have no end. Every other kingdom on earth right now, from America to Ukraine to Russia to China to North Korea to Australia to England to Brazil, they will do what every kingdom in the history of mankind has always done. Fall. Crumble. But not His. And as the king with all the authority in heaven and on earth, because of what he accomplished, having been given to him with that authority, he brings salvation to you. Giving that to sinners who don't deserve it is his right. He gives it to whomever he wills, for he purchased it with his very own body and blood. Whether or not you can be saved this morning is on the back of Jesus, not on your back. He offers His life to you freely in this moment. And you may say, how can this be since I am a sinner? Just like Mary, not believing God couldn't do this, but wondering how He could do this. How can this be for me? How can forgiveness be for me? How can this gift of Christ and of eternal life and of justification and peace with God and reconciliation, how can that be for me? I am a sinner Here's how. You've already been told how. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and give faith to believe in Him where there was only sin and unbelief to all who receive Him. To all who receive Him. We must realize we can't do anything in ourselves to get, to earn, or to keep God's favor, which is God's grace Jesus came this way not just to tell us, but also to show us what would have to happen for us to be reconciled. He would have to do the work. And He comes through the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life for us. Again, He didn't just show up, present Himself to the authorities, and get crucified. He came as a baby, as a human being, to live the life a human being had to live to be the sacrifice for our sins. And He came that way humbly 
and meekly for us. He would have to do the work. God would have to be merciful rather than only treat us like we had earned, which is in judgment and in wrath. So He came as a baby in the person of His Son and lived the life of perfect obedience and submission to God that was required, but none of us could live. Therefore, for all who receive Him, who are born not of the will of the man or, or will of man or of the flesh, but of God, to them He gives the right to become children of God. He's the only one that has the authority to grant that right. The first Sunday of Advent, the purple candle is hope. There's no better news in the world this morning than to hear that we can't accomplish our own salvation. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God that our salvation would take a miracle from heaven unlike anything that has ever happened. God became flesh. And this is precisely how He saves. He comes in meekness and humility to draw us to Himself when all we have done is push ourselves away. That's what sin is. You might think, I don't think that I'm doing this against God. I'm just doing what I want to do. And that's true, but He created you. He owns us. We can't live ignoring Him in neutrality. He lays claim to us. Just like if you were to build something, it's yours. You determine what happens to it, where it goes, how it's used, right? The first time He said He had not come to condemn the world. Jesus didn't need to do that. It was condemned since the Garden of Eden. But to save it. So receive the gift of Jesus Christ this morning. He forgives you all your sins by His blood. He makes you righteous by crediting His obedience to you with such certainty and finality that you stand fully righteous before God just as He does. There's no other life that can stand before God. So Christ takes us in salvation, puts us in Him. And this now is how God judges us. And since God raised Him from the dead, He will raise us from the dead. On that last day, receive Him now. Receive the One who came to serve you when He had the authority to destroy you and still does. He loves you, so this is how He came. To those of us who already know Jesus this morning and have received Him, as we begin this Advent season, consider how the manner of His coming shapes the lives He's called us to live as the beneficiaries of this amazing Grace. We are the witness to Himself that Jesus has left in this world to make Him known. How we go is as important to the spread of the Gospel as how Jesus came to save us. It was all intentional. We are meant to see ourselves now in Him, in this life. How we go to our neighbors, to our loved ones, to the world, maybe especially to our enemies 
Of course they don't want to hear from us. Of course they hate what we have to say. Of course they hate us. Of course they want nothing to do with us. Of course they want to get us out of society and culture and quit hearing from us and having to account for us being there. Of course that's what they are. We shouldn't expect them in their sinfulness and unbelief to be anything else. How did Jesus go to people like that? That's how we go to people like that. We have a borrowed perfection. An alien righteousness, not an intrinsic one. Our meekness and humility ought to flow from who we are in light of Christ. It's we who humble ourselves to serve others. And no depth is too low. No condescension is too far. Jesus became... What He came to save in order to save it. Now, that doesn't mean you and I become sinners in order to save sinners. We already are. What it does mean is that we'll have to risk the opinions and the approval of others in the places that we go to find people that need Jesus. Most of them are in places we can't go and we have to. We don't serve to be served. We have everything in Christ. We are free to give everything away. Literally, if need be, everything away. The salvation Jesus has given us is so good and so secure and so perfect. We're as free and as fireproof as Jesus is. We have hope. We could die in service to others and would only gain our eternal life by doing so. That wouldn't save us, but we would cash in on what's been promised to us if our lives are taken for this reason. Not because we can save anybody by doing so, but because the one whose death does save has already died that death and risen from the grave. In this way, in this way, let us as believers receive Him again. As our Savior and our Lord, receive Him in our understanding, deeper understanding of who He is and what He has done. For by the same grace and power that overshadowed us to save us, let us live out of that in meekness and humility. This is Christ for us. Draw near to Him this season as you contemplate how far He came down, how He came down. Draw near to Him in prayer. Draw near to Him in His Word and ask Him, Whom may I serve? Who may I give my life away for? For Christ has done it all.